Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. It's good to see you here this morning. Encouraged to have you worshiping with us and the many more who are still at home worshiping with us on Facebook Live. Great to have you as well. Before I begin, I want to acknowledge... Um, do you guys know we're part of a denomination? Maybe, maybe not. Well, we are. It's called the Evangelical Free Church of America, and we have a new district superintendent. He's with, with us this morning. His name's Mike Shields. Can you just kind of raise your hand, Mike? Yep, so we're acknowledging you. Glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, over the next week, I'm going to be um, spending some time up in northern Missouri with my son, um, our son, uh, Daniel, who's 12 years old. He, many of you know he lives in a school in a home up there in Missouri, and since the pandemic, they've been on lockdown, and so we've seen him very little. Saw him a couple weeks ago after camp for a little bit, but I'm going to go spend some time with him, so you can just pray uh, that our time with him will will be good, and we'll have a, a, a good visit. I'm sure it's been very hard for him to not see his family for several months during this time. Well, I want to start this morning by telling you an amazing true story, and, and I really don't want you to zone out, because I want you to track with this story, because it's a very important story. So try to stay engaged. It's a story about God's people. And I'm gonna, this is kind of the introduction before I go into Philippians. All right, so just hang with me. It's about the Israelites. And you know about the Israelites, a story how they were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. The Lord rescued them through a series of miracles and brought them out to head to the promised land. Now get this. They were supposed to be light to the world, right? They are supposed to be light to the world glorify God in the way they represented him to the world, all right? So they're leaving, and they're starting to be rescued by God from the promised land. So at the beginning of the journey, they are trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. What do they do? What do they do? They turn to their, their leader, Moses, and they start to complain. And they say, was it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? They complained, and yet God worked a miracle part of the Red Sea. They crossed, they witnessed a miracle. Now they're headed toward the promised land. While they're in the desert, three days, they didn't have water. And the only water they found was bitter. So what do they do? They complain again. Scripture says the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then God gave them some water. Another miracle. Well, at one time, they were hungry. And what do they do when they're hungry? They start to complain like little children to Moses and Aaron. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We had plenty of food, but now we're going to die. What happened? God gave them bread from heaven, and they ate the miraculous provision, and they still even complained about that. One time, 12 spies went to survey the land. Remember the promised land. Israel was supposed to take the land and be light to the world. Spies come back. 10 give a negative report, and all of Israel grumbled and complained. And the Lord was sick and tired of all the complaining. And he says this, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So the Lord had had enough with this generation. And he determined that they would die in the desert. 
All of those 20 and over would die except for the two good spies, Caleb and Joshua. So one by one by one, they died. And at one time, God opened up the ground and the ground ate some of them. At another time, God sent poisonous snakes among them who bit them and killed a lot of them. And what is the point of me telling you this story? Here's the point. Because of their grumbling and their complaining, they would not be a light to the world. The opportunity passed over them to the next generation. And I'm just wondering, what if the Lord did that right now? Like, just imagine one aisle, two aisle, three aisle, all opening up and gobbling up all the complainers in here. Wouldn't be anybody left. What if someone, you know, the Lord sent venomous snakes in here to bite all the complainers and the arguers and the grumblers? Once again, the point is this. The Lord has called you to be a light, a witness to this world, and that reality can be lost. If you are not careful, it will pass over you. The opportunity to shine, to impact others with the gospel will pass over you, and that can happen through complaining and arguing. And I just want to make sure, before I go any further and we start diving into our text today, I want to make sure you're on board with that premise. And the premise is this. You are called to be light, and that opportunity to be light will pass over you through complaining and arguing. Do we all kind of agree on that premise? So whatever else we see in Philippians, make sure we all agree on that premise. You are called to be light in this dark world, but you will not be light in this dark world if you're filled with complaining and arguing and grumbling and all that stuff. So we can, we can agree on that premise. All right, so none of us wants to forfeit that opportunity to be a blessing and light, so we want to go in a different direction. So here we are, back in Philippians chapter 2. We just read... Verses 12 through 18. And Paul has spoken of the opposition outside the church, but the opposition inside the church can be just as brutal because the poison of disunity can kill the church. You know, you kind of, can I just ask a quick question? Is one of the biggest threats to the church happening in our country right now, or is one of the biggest threats happening with inside the church in America? Don't answer that. But if you read the New Testament, you'll see that they're much more concerned about what's going on inside the church no matter what's going on in the Roman Empire because the church is what can destroy. When you look at Jesus' letters to the churches in Revelation, He is directly speaking to the churches. Take the Word to us. Don't point the finger out there and say they're going to destroy us. No, no. We can, we can take care of destroying ourselves. So let's look at this, what Paul has to say about them not destroying themselves, gobbling themselves up. It's encouraging them to be lights in the world and shine like the stars in the universe. So we're going to kind of go through this, keep it organized for you. We're going to talk about what does it mean to work out your salvation. We're going to talk about grumbling and arguing, and we're going to talk about rejoicing. That's kind of where we're going. So let's jump into this, starting with verse 12 of chapter 2 of Philippians. So then, my beloved... Just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Philippians were characterized by obedience, whether Paul was around or not. 
and he wants them to continue on this same path by working out their salvation. Make sure you get this. This is not an issue of working for your salvation. Jesus already worked for your salvation. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. You do not become into a relationship with God by your good works. You do not come into a relationship with God by your good works and God's good works combined. No, no, no. It's all about the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. All right? Now, at this point, he says, work out your salvation. You already got it. Now work it out. And the issue here is sanctification. And then the issue of growth in the Lord. And the issue of working it out is a picture of kind of this working out like minerals in a mine. We have a variety of mines around here, some boarded up in Arkansas. You're to, to work these minerals out. And the idea is to get as many minerals out as you can of the mine. The same with your salvation. You are to work it out and get as much fruit as you can and the most benefits out of being saved. And you are to work and to make effort and to grow. Work is not opposed to grace. You are a believer now. And there are plenty of images in the New Testament about you working to grow. Images in the New Testament about your work, about killing sin, put it to death, running the race, fighting the good fight. Those things are grace-empowered effort now that you are a believer you are responsible as a believer for your own growth in christ and you are to do this if you notice with fear and trembling this is a reverence before god indicating we are inadequate and can't do this on our own and this fear and trembling means that we acknowledge our lack of ability and the enormity of the task we don't want to sin against a holy God who is our Heavenly Father. We don't want to live in sin and board up our minds. So we work out our salvation with reverence and fear and trembling toward God. But as you notice that as we work out this salvation and we want to grow in Christ, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, For it is God who has at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is the one who started the work in us, and he is the one that is going to motivate us to keep doing it for his good pleasure. God is the one who is going to energize you to work out your salvation. He's going to give you the desire and the determination to do this work. He's going to give you the will, the desires placed inside of you to grow, and he's going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the determination to do that. So the reality is, is that we are called to work out our salvation to grow in sanctification and at the same time by the power of the holy spirit god is creating these desires in us and by his grace we will obey work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you i went to seminary uh, at dallas seminary one of my pro uh, favorite professors was uh, howard hendricks and many of you probably have read some of his books and howard hendricks says you determine how much you will grow spiritually. What do you think about that? You determine how much you will grow spiritually. If you don't like where you're at right now spiritually, don't point the fingers at anybody else. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, but you grow you by working out your salvation by His mercy and grace. So you determine how much you're going to grow spiritually. So if you don't like where you're at right now, you can do something about that by His grace. 
my nine-year-old son, Darion, he's right there. He's the only kid in here. Oh, don't, oh, now he just disappeared. Well, Darion is here. My son, Darion, loves basketball. And he wants to be like Michael Jordan. And he asks me all the time, how can I be like Michael Jordan? And he says, do I need to dress like him? Nope, that's not going to do it. Should I wear shoes like him? Nope. Should I play video games where I'm Michael Jordan? Nope. The only thing that's going to make you like Michael Jordan is to get out there and play basketball over and over and over again. If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to be like Jesus, you're responsible for that. You've got to get out there, abide in Him, bear fruit, fruit that will last. Work out your salvation. Not for it. You already got it. Work it out. Now the reason why Paul is doing this, he's trying to give them some responsibility for growth. And there's something that can really hinder your growth, and make sure you don't miss this. Something that can hinder your growth is complaining and arguing and grumbling. And that's what leads us to the next part in verses 14 through 16. Look at it. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Before we consider the details, I want to make sure you understand this. The goal is to be light in the world as you hold out the word of life. We are to be those who shine our light in the darkness as we give people the good news of Jesus Christ. And we all agree with that mission. But it can be hindered by complaining and arguing. Notice again in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. <laughs> grumbling is like that muttering under your breath or complaint under your breath. And disputing is arguing and debating and always questioning all that goes on. And yet it says we are to do all things. It didn't just say some things, by the way. It says all things without complaining. All things includes everything, and that leaves out nothing. It's all-inclusive. That means you're supposed to do your work, school, church, play, marriage, friendship, without complaining or arguing. Nothing is excluded. But you know what? One of the things that can damage the church the most is division, which comes through complaining and arguing and disputing and grumbling. Now, I want to make a little observation here. On March 15th was our last Sunday here when we shut down for two weeks, two weeks, two months. Began again on, March, on May 17th. We had about eight weeks off. And I want you to guess what happened in eight weeks when we weren't meeting together anymore. Arguing, grumbling, complaining became nothing. It was the most peaceful eight weeks I've ever had in my pastoral ministry existence. <laughs> it just went away. It was amazing. And when we started back up, just right on time and on cue, boom, it hit. And it wasn't just our churches. There are churches across the country have experienced this as well. It's like a big rush has come back in. And let me tell you this. The church in America right now is divided and arguing and complaining on a very significant theological 
issue. Have you noticed this? They're complaining about this huge theological issue that is in danger of dividing the church, and the issue they're complaining about is mask. <laughs> Boy, should we wear them or should we not wear them? And they're complaining and griping and arguing, put stuff on social media. And, and guess what? That's what the rest of the world is doing. You can go watch the news or social media and you'll see scenes in grocery stores that are crazy of people complaining and griping about masks. And we want to talk to an unbelieving world. We want to say, oh, come, come to church. We're griping about the same thing. They would think that's ridiculous. We're to be a distinct people. We're not supposed to mimic the world, right? We're not supposed to be arguing and complaining and fighting. That's ridiculous. That's not supposed to be us. How's that being a light? We're mimicking the world. And he says this, hey, instead, verse 15, you're to be blameless and innocent children of God. You're not to be labeled as contentious and, and as grumblers. When you, when you argue and complain, you fail to realize that you're a child of God. Your father is the ruler of the universe. My brothers and sisters, do you realize we're children of God? And the Bible says that we're living in a crooked and perverse generation. I didn't make that up. The Bible says, and right here it says, you're living in a crooked and a perverse generation. The world is corrupt. It's bent towards sin. It's immoral. It's perverse. It's morally bankrupt, and the world is filled with complaining and arguing. Don't be like that. Be distinct. Stand out. You're called to shine in the darkness. It says that you are to be lights in the world as we hold out the word of life. We are to hold firm to the gospel, share the gospel. We're called to be distinct people. The sky is dark, but you are to shine like the stars in the universe. And we're to be about proclaiming, not complaining. So I'm going to tell you, proclaim, don't complain. Shine like a star in the universe. Don't mimic the world. Stand out. And that brings us to the last portion here about instead of complaining, how about some rejoicing? Look at verse 16. It says, um, holding fast the word of life, and I have no reason so that in the day of Christ I will have no reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And Paul's basically saying here, I'm laying it all down for the gospel. In fact, his life was a drink offering that was poured out on top of an animal sacrifice. Paul wants his life to be a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. And the point of this passage right here is that he wants to know that his work with the Philippians was not in vain. And it didn't go to waste. He wanted to know that his life was not in vain and not going to waste. And I think that's something that many of us can resonate with. Over the July 4th weekend, uh, my family, we watched the, the musical Hamilton. It was streaming on TV, the Broadway hit. And I don't know if you've, you know much about Alexander Hamilton, but at least in the, in the, in the hit, he's being portrayed as, as a man who doesn't want 
his life to go to waste. In fact, he is so intent on working so hard to make sure his life is not in vain or goes to waste. And then eventually his, he dies. But get this, his wife lives 50 years after him. She didn't die until she was 97 years old. And she was a believer. And at the end of the musical, it talks about what she got to do. And one of the things she did, she started an orphanage, impacted hundreds of orphans. Because she didn't want to live her life in vain. And here's Paul saying, you know what? I don't want my life to be a waste. I don't want it to be in vain. I want my work with you Philippians so that when I see the Lord one day, I'm going to rejoice because you are not complaining, you're not arguing, you're not turning on one another, but you're being lights to the world. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my efforts on those things that are going to pass away. I don't want to waste my efforts on building something that is going to be discarded and is pointless. Now, I've shown some, this uh, image to some of you before about this beautiful boat I have on my property. Can I show you this boat on, in our pasture? We inherited this boat when it washed up, I guess, years before we even moved there. And um, I have no idea who owned it before us, but it's trashed. It is a piece of junk. It is worthless. And when I see that and I go back and I climb all over it with my kids, I'm thinking, you know what? I do not want to build something that's just going to be discarded. I don't want to waste my time and my life building into those things. They're going to just end up like this junky boat. I want to invest my time in kingdom efforts. How about you? I want to invest my time in things that are getting the gospel out. How about you? I don't want it to be disrupted by my attitude by your attitude. I want us to be rejoicing and moving in the same direction. On that day we meet Jesus Christ, we will not be ashamed because we did not run in vain. So we're like the Israelites, right? We're this generation that's headed toward our inheritance. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, trust Him, we believe we have an eternal inheritance waiting for us. And we're heading toward home. And I just want you to imagine the imagery like this. Imagine that you've just inherited a mansion and vast acreage on this earth and you're driving your car to get your inheritance. You're, you're so excited. You're driving along and one mile before you get to your inheritance, your car breaks down and you start complaining. This car is such a junker. I cannot believe it broke down on me. I can't believe I got to get out and walk. Oh, this is terrible. You would be an absolute fool because you're about to have this great inheritance. And my brothers and sisters, we have the greatest inheritance ever in Jesus Christ that will last for eternity and we're about one mile from home. We're almost there. We don't need to be complaining about silly things like mask or no mask. We don't need to be the complainers and gripers. We don't need to mimic the world. We have an inheritance that's guaranteed, that's coming, and we just got to keep going in faithfulness, not living our lives in vain, but rejoicing along the way until we see Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Lord, you are so faithful.
to save us. You've worked for our salvation in Jesus and You're calling us to work it out and help us to work it out in community and convict us, Lord, when we feel with complaining and griping and arguing we have such a vast inheritance. Get at our hearts. Change us. Rearrange us. Maybe glorify You and walk towards You and run towards You and run this race in faithfulness. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.